We're back to the Neil Haley Show, and I'm excited. Again, this is kind of a good theme of uh, unbelievable younger people and their success. So I'm excited to welcome the program singer, actress, Parker Winston. Parker, how are you? Thanks for stopping by. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. We'll just kind of jump right into specifically enough. Was it singing or acting you wanted to do first when you were a child growing up? Acting? Always. I think since I was born, I've been an actress. <laughs> I just, um, there's just something about like playing other people and putting on characters that I'm just obsessed with. I, I, I'll always watching movies and everything like that. I've never watched a movie. It's always just like the acting and everything behind us with acting. Okay, so, so, so were you a drama queen as a little kid? <laughs> kind of, <laughs> yeah, basically. Gaining all the attention and all the different things. This is how I'm going to get what I need, right? Exactly. Oh, gosh. I, I was a crazy child, yeah. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. So basically you said acting acting was first. So did, was acting first when you were looking at starting your career and all that stuff did you do more acting and then singing came after that yeah it it really started with child modeling that's kind of how okay. everything began and then um acting was kind of acting was always my dream but acting for as a child model was always like the side job if that makes sense and music came along eventually and yeah now I'm kind of all three that's good, right? All three. Yeah, okay. so, yeah. so, 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 so how did you get involved in child modeling? Did your family just say, let's go do this or something you wanted to do too? Um, my mom was a model growing up, so she knew. Oh, really? To, okay. Yeah, she knew how to book a meeting with a modeling agent. or She had some kind of like education on the modeling industry herself. And um, she got me a meeting with Wilhelmina Kids and Teens and... I met with them and immediately we signed and yeah, that was when I was five years old. And ever since I've been acting, modeling. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> was <very young. laughs> so, so was your mom a successful model as well? You said she was too. Professional model? Yeah. yeah she, she was really like, I, I always look at her old modeling pictures and she was a really cool model. Did she act too? Yeah, I think she did. I think she was in this movie. I, I'm, I'm such a bad daughter for not remembering the name or anything like that. But yeah, she was a model and an actress. Okay. All right. So I love always getting into these stories because you're like, okay, where did it come from? You start in this thing, model, model. Uh, so when did someone ask for acting? So like from the experience in modeling, did that, that lead to an acting experience? How did that happen? Like have you've done more, more uh, acting in commercials or have you done other stuff too? Yeah, it, it started with, commercials and doing like because commercials are a part of being a model wow, like, yeah. like AT&T commercials and um this like Japanese medicine commercial and You're stuff like me. that and okay. no 100% and eventually um I started to get auditions for a bunch of different roles and, and um my dog is barking but um okay. <laughs> yeah that's that's pretty much how it started through commercials. Commercials. So, okay. So what, so after commercials, where, how did you like set up your career? So what age were you when you start making decisions about your professional career, especially being a professional model, so young and child, child model? 
I think I've always known exactly what I wanted to do with my life. I, I knew that I always wanted to be an artist. And yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm definitely one of those people who know exactly what I want. And um, I mean, ever since I was five, I think, <laughs> I don't want to say it's like calling the shots, but um, no, my, my parents were very keen on allowing me to navigate my career and allow me to choose my own professions and express myself in every single facet. And yeah, it's it's been really great. Okay, so let's go with some of the resume before we get to this song. So you were doing some commercials, then singing came after that? Or did you do any, have you acted other things too? Yeah, I, I did a short film before I started. Music was more of a very recent thing, like the beginning of the pandemic. But um, so far my greatest acting um, measure was a short film I did called The Shallow End where I played um, a mean girl in the 1980s and it's a coming of age film. It's it's really cool. I'll, I'll, I'll send you an email of like the trailer and everything. Oh, you have to do that. I gotta watch that. So that's interesting. Yeah. So you're a part of that in the 80s. Yeah. So are you an 80s fan even though you're 17? Are you a fan of the 80s? Yeah, no, I, it's so strange, but like everything I do is always like, 1960s 1950s 1980s it's always a throwback if that makes sense but um no I'm a big fan of everything 1990s and back <laughs> that's wild okay okay so it's, it's <laughs> iconic what what can we define the 2020s we don't I don't want to even define them right COVID that's going to be the style right wearing a mask oh my gosh please mask, no. <laughs> that's going to be the 20s like, what? Yeah. Well, let's hope we get through this and then it'll be like the roaring 20s and 1920s. Then we're set, right? It started, you know, then the stock market crashed the end. But hey, we'll, we can live the 20s, go all the way up and then all the way down again. The Spanish flu the 1919s and then they went to the 20 and then it ended in 21 or 22, I think. And then it went, yeah. to, but everyone was hoping this is the time for the roaring 20s. Well, that got stopped in, in its tracks already again. That's not good, right? Oh, no. Sorry. So let's kind of go into your singing. So singing was based on the pandemic. What you said, okay, I'm going to try something else now. Because again, it was hard for models, right? During the pandemic to get work. Well, it, it was kind of, it, it was different than that. It um, I've always been writing music. It's something that was always personal to me or like therapeutic for me to just write songs or poetry and um once the pandemic began I had a lot of time on my hands like everybody else in the world and it kind of opened up this field of me beginning to take music seriously and start that journey and that's kind of where the professionalism of music began but music has always been a love of mine and everything to me if that makes sense it makes complete sense because it's, it's, it's a love, it's a passion, it's something that you, uh, you love to do. So tell us about your song. I, I, it's interesting because when I hear the song, there has to be a connection to your song. There's other reasons right. we wrote it. Yeah, go ahead. It's, um, I, I love this song so much. It's called Happiest Depression. It's, um, it's, it's so personal to me. It's based off of kind of a, toxic relationship but in that stage where 
you're not yet open to how toxic it is and instead you're just trying to romanticize it and instigate it and you know you're pushing yourself into a deeper isolation of this toxic relationship and yeah it's I love this song so much define a toxic relationship because I just think (laughs) you what you guys are dealing with in the dating world compared to when I was your age in the dating world is a lot worse because of social media because the access to people worldwide, because of just the the real, there's not like, oh, hey, I saw somebody at the movie theater. It's not like that anymore. Hey, they someone yeah. was, once they got off the phone, were FaceTiming someone else and then deciding to go somewhere else. So define a toxic yeah. relationship in your mindset. I think a toxic relationship in my mind is mistreatment. I think that's like the greatest way I could describe a toxic relationship kind of um I mean and and it takes two to tango but just like real mistreatment on another partner and like you said social media plays a huge part of it I mean never before have we had to worry about what who people are like DMing on Instagram and whatnot and it's uh it's a mess (laughs) it's awful and who you're going to FaceTime and who you're on, you know, who, who you're, uh, just all those different things. And then that's part of it. But then the talks relationship of comparisons, to different things. I look at talks relationships, and this is going to be my take on all this, is that when you find somebody at one point, if it doesn't work out, the reason and major is that partnership ends, that partnership ends. And also there are tons of underlying causes. If you don't respect that person, you don't treat them well, you don't look at their hopes and dreams and care about their dreams anymore. And you kind of just look at the person as I wish I had somebody else. That's a toxic relationship. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. I think it's, um, it's like that weird stage of codependence where, mm-hmm. you know, it's, there's no, like, like you hate each other, but you're like dependent on each other and you can't really, yeah. It's, it's I heard so many people in COVID, right? Cause there's not yeah. much that are in COVID to do that. Right. I think that that's the other part. So many people were living in toxic relationships and couldn't go anywhere, which our mental health is still suffering from. And you're young and you're telling me all this different stuff. So, so interesting, the song. So you had a toxic relationship, even though at your age, right? You already had one, correct? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And because you're approachable, especially as a model, right? And different that, was it someone older than you or, or the same age? Pretty, pretty much the same age group, mm-hmm. maybe like a year older. Okay. Yeah. Once you turn 18, then then the game, game on, right? <laughs> with more mature guys <laughs> and dealing with all that. Yeah, no. <laughs> because th- that's the problem. I think it, when you're dealing with talks relationship, and I'm sure it's dealt in your song, is you see that the person just doesn't feel good about themselves. And that's why they treat the other person all together, right? A hundred percent. Yeah, no, I, um, in, in my past toxic relationship, I mean, I, I was always a very insecure person, especially very, very young. I was always insecure. Being How were you insecure as a model? Are you kidding me? See, no, this it's, it, it sounds very, very dumb, but you know, it it's, doesn't sound dumb because none of like when I was in high school, I would not approach a model and think I'd have a chance. Okay. Yeah. So that's, do you see that, that that's the problem? The very good looking models are the ones that don't get approached because they don't think they have a chance. Then, and that's, yeah, it, 
it's I think it a lot has to do with like the rejection that models have to take in like their industry and feels yeah. constantly and like there's always a somebody flaw. prettier there's, there's always somebody a flaw. who's like mm-hmm. exactly exactly so I have my own personal demons and I think um my my ex <laughs> I think that he was also insecure in his own ways and it it did not make for a good so what does he think you're doing like taylor swift writing a song about your ex what does your ex think of his song? honestly i i would love to know what he thinks i i we haven't spoken since we that's good up. you blocked him on all those different things but then when the song goes exactly. out and people see it and say oh by the way that's about you and she's out there singing so okay so what basically are you telling people in this song to how to get rid of a toxic relationship? Because that's the big thing. So many people are in toxic relationships and they need to get out. Even if it's something where they think that they're, they're thinking just about themselves, it becomes something that's so draining on that person, ending that person. And whoever's involved in those lives, you're going you're gonna to die young. You're going to get sick. You're gonna, your, your mental health is going to be in concerns. And we forget about people's happiness at times. And then people stay in toxic relationships for years and years and years and never get out because they just feel they can't. Right. No, a hundred percent. I think that, um, I'm sorry, I'm like drawing a blank. I, I, I knew what I was about to say. And That's I just okay. You're for- great. Um, yeah, I, I think that this song is really about helping people be able to identify that when they're in this toxic state and you know things are kind of going south and you're kind of like pushing yourself into this isolation with this other person and all your friends are starting to become side part of your life and everything like that I think this song is really going to help um help people like be like oh you know what I think that uh this is kind of me and my significant other and I think that we're kind of in a stage where things are about to get dark and we don't really see that and we're 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 really feeling things way too fast and way too strongly and that can always take the deepest of dives and I think that it also plays a bigger part of my whole project and my entire project that comes out I think that um this is really step one of what happens and you just watch it all <laughs> go so, so sad. What, is, what, is, what is the goal of this from this song to what what are your goals for music right now so from from this song, you go from being able to identify or not being able to identify the toxic relationship into kind of finding me or yourself, however you want to perceive the next songs in this just lost wasteland of just like not knowing who you are, don't don't know what to do without this other person. It's it's I, I don't want to give too much about away about the EP, but I'm very excited to see how people perceive everything and what is your goal as a singer where do you want to go with singing I think that I mean (laughs) I want to win a Grammy no just kidding but um I I think my biggest goal as a singer is just to continue doing it just for myself because it has become such a great therapy to me and such a great um coping mechanism for me to have and to be able to just go to music and be like you know what I want to make a song about this thing and bring it to life and make it sound the way the emotion reflects and it's it's so special to me and my biggest goal is to just continue it and what is the goal uh in modeling so you're still modeling right are you yeah no i've <laughs> been that's modeling a, that's for like 30 years now. 
that's, that's, that's your <laughs> right. profession, right? Right, right. So um, I think my I I'm in the midst of speaking to a big modeling agency right now and signing. So oh. <laughs> I don't. So when's that? When is, and then after you get that, then we're going to see you in movies, right? That's coming. That's all coming. Coming. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it's definitely coming. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Are you going to be going to college or are you holding off? What is your plan at 17? Yeah, no. College, 100%. Um, I, I'm taking a gap year, though, this year to just focus on my work and everything like that. But the following year, I think I'm going to go abroad to like theater school or something like that and just peace out for a few years and then come back but you still can model even if you do that gap year or i mean when you yeah, go to yeah no, no. so you can model anyway I, yeah okay. basically just, yeah no the, the modeling agency i'm speaking to now has offices everywhere <laughs> so wow. it would it, it would compromise each other yeah awesome. and i can still make music wherever i go <laughs> so they got a good uh good uh thing where can people check you out and stuff and then check out the music and stuff where can they go for it yeah, you you can find my music on all platforms. My music music is everywhere. Um, you can find me on Instagram. You can find me on YouTube. All Parker Winston, and yeah, that's that's me. You're fabulous, I tell you. And so, <laughs> people that don't want to, people want to get. Don't be intimidated by this song. Don't be the next guy that dates Parker that <laughs> is toxic, or else you're gonna have a, a song, and she she's going to be the model that gets opens up the door for everything else because she's gonna be the supermodel and then comes Parker taking it to the next level for sure. Right? Yeah, be nice to me. I'll write a song about you. <laughs> yes, if you're not nice to her, she's never gonna write a song about you. Just let her break up with you because you don't want to be the other way around. She's just got, okay, I'm moving on. Don't break up with her or cause toxic relationship or look out, you're gonna be in a song. This is amazing. 100%. 100%. It's true. All right. Well, thanks for stopping by, Parker. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Take care. All right. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. Celebrity slots. Free spin. Free to play mobile social slot games in the likeness of your favorite celebrities. Making money. Spin to win celebrity experiences through sweepstakes. Free to download, free to play. Yeah, baby! What are you waiting for? Win meet and greets, celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download Celebrity Slots today. Hi, everyone, and welcome to living a legacy and i'm excited to welcome the program the host eric couch eric how are you and great and merry christmas i'll have to say just because of who our guest is yes you know well today we're gonna have we're having a good time man and i'll tell you if you don't pay attention he will shoot your eye out so today's guest is actor he's been in one movie in particular that you've already probably figured out but he's been in a lot of shows um zach ward zach welcome to the show thank you guys thank you everybody nice to be here nice to be here absolutely zach thanks again and uh i getting to see you in person on camera what a fantastic thing especially christmas time and uh getting near christmas and the perfect time in the holidays to talk about some awesome things so go ahead eric with your first question 
Yeah. So Zach, tell well, obviously a Christmas story and, and anybody watching the show, you're seeing the red hair. So you, you probably figured out that, you know, Zach was, Zach was the, the bully kid uh, at the beginning, but, you know, briefly, Zach, before we jump into everything else, let's, let's talk a little bit about Christmas story. It is Christmas time. So tell us a little bit about back making the movie and, and experiences there and maybe a scene or two that, that still stands out that makes you laugh or is memorable. Uh, Christmas story was my first feature film that I ever auditioned for. It's what we call a cattle call, meaning hundreds of kids came to the audition, walked in and out of the audition room, read a couple of lines in front of a VHS camera and then left. And back then my dialogue was the, was the dialogue of the sidekick, not the bully. Uh, so I said, nah, your aunt Tilly, get over here. And then thank you. Bye-bye. And I went through that about, 10 or 12 times um, and it kept on going from a lot of kids down to less kids until eventually I got the job. And then I showed up um, in wardrobe and they put the big hat on me and they, uh, I met my, uh, I met Yano Anaya who played Grover Dill. <clears throat> and um, then we went out to go meet the director and I had never met him before because I was in Toronto and he was based in Los Angeles. So uh, we were introduced to Bob Clark the director, and he noticed that I was basically a foot taller than Yano Anaya, and he went, oh, okay, um, you get his lines, he gets yours. So I went from being the <laughs> sidekick to being the bully. Um, and so it was great fun. Uh, Bob kept us separated, sort of kept the bullies and the heroes <laughs> removed from each other, so there was a natural sort of competition level. Uh, yeah. He was a great guy. He was very patient, very sweet. Uh, like I said, it was my first feature film, so I was learning a lot. I had done commercials before that. And my mom's an actress, so I'd been on sets, but I'd never had that level of direction and a full film crew around like that. And uh, Bob was very, very patient and kind. And I think he got the best out of me that could be gotten. And so we got to play and have fun. And one of my favorite memories, you know, the fight scene, even though I'm losing, to me, that was like being the bionic, bionic man. So right. uh, any young feller liked play fighting when he was a kid and that's what I did. So this was uh, you know, sort of like living like your heroes, being evil Knievel or Steve Austin. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure right, that your audience right. has no idea who those people are, but yeah, those were the heroes no, they, of the they day. They definitely do. Oh, they definitely do. I said the heel versus the baby face. I don't know if Zach, if I told you last time I interviewed you, I'm a former professional wrestler. So I okay. know how great it is to be the bad guy. But yeah. I guess the look that you were able to come as very scary. For a lot of kids, you know, younger kids, when they watch the show and different things, how they come yeah. up with that look for you? Which part of the look? Like, I mean, this stuff? Because yeah. I, I brought this. <laughs> Meaning just like <laughs> even just the way he just, act, not just you brought this, but you also brought the persona, but also the look of the clothes and everything. How do they come up with that? Kind so of wardrobe, the wardrobe department came up with the clothing, the hat, the leather jacket with the fur collar, the, the green sweater and the turtleneck and... You know, it just was a bunch of poor kid stuff from the 1930s, 1940s. Um, so they took period piece references and made sure that it was accurate to that time and then started dressing me in with what they have. So um, you go into the wardrobe department and they've got a ton of clothes, but only so many in your size. And then you start trying on those clothes and standing in front of a mirror and the wardrobe person goes, nope, uh, nope. Uh, nope. Oh yeah, this looks good. You know, we yeah. went through 20 different hats before I got the, the coonskin hat. 
And so <laughs> it was all, always about building upon what was already there. So I already had the face that was very punchable. Yeah. And then it was just adding to that process. Well, you know, there's so many, there's so many lines that people remember from the show, from, from the lamp to the, you'll shoot your eye out to the mother of all, you know, cuss words, uh, which is what I mentioned to my kids earlier. And my son just starts laughing. He's like, yeah, dad, I know which movie you're talking about. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's so many like scenes that pop out as people think about that. I'll tell you one thing that really, uh, you know, I was reading an article on you a couple days ago and something really stood out to me because our show is about living a legacy, right? Not, yeah. not just how are you going to leave a legacy, but what are you doing today to use the influence that you have to impact the world around you? And one of the things that I read about, I think it was when you were filming this movie is, you know, you're a kid and, and you're struggling with your lines. And of course, you're the bully. So people think of you and they're like, I don't like this guy. He's just a punk. Um, but then the reality is you're playing a part, right? And you, uh, what I read was, you know, you're struggling with the lines and instead of the director being a bully, he sits down next to you and he just works with you on your lines. And that had a huge impact on your life um, yeah. and helped you just learn patience and giving patience. So, you know, tell me more of the story of, of that and kind of the impact that that had, because it, it, it had an impact on me. Uh, it was the scene when I'm arguing with uh, Ralphie. Listen, jerk, when I tell you to come, you better come. Now get over here. What are you going to cry? Blah, blah, blah. It wasn't a lot of dialogue and some of it got cut, but I was rushing through it because I wasn't really paying attention. And the director, Bob Clark, uh, instead of yelling at me, um, he kind of put everybody on like a couple of minute break and then just walked yeah. over and talked to me and kept on kind of joking with me saying uh uh you know what are the lines say it again say it again okay one more time okay super fast all right super slow this time like a monster all right this time like a silly <laughs> girl this time like your mom would say it all right one, one more time what are the lines so you stop being afraid of the process and being overwhelmed and yeah i call that vapor lock uh, when an actor is, you know, a, a an actor can feel like they're kind of screwing up, but they also know right. that there's 20, 30, 50 people around them looking at their clock, wishing they would hurry up and get it right. right. And then right. they start getting more and more nervous. And then they start stumbling through and getting it worse and worse and worse. And the only way to really fix that is to take a breath. And to let go of all that concern and that, that nervous energy and then right, find right. the fun of it again. And I was able to do that because Bob was able to basically be a father figure and be patient and be kind. And that's, that's always helped me in my, in my acting. And then especially as, as I grew older and became a director is the way I treat my, my talent uh, in, in order to get the best performance from them is to help them understand that I, Nothing else matters. We're going to spend as much time as we want doing this one thing. Now, that's not true. I'm lying. But by getting rid of that fear and that responsibility, they take a deep breath. Their whole body attitude changes. And right. now they're in the moment. And I also don't, I don't yell at someone in front of a bunch of people and go, do it best, better and faster and more tears. 
because it's kind of embarrassing, eh? Like it's yeah, just right. uncomfortable, man, right? So I usually walk up to somebody and I make it personal with them, like Bob did with me. He right. walked away from the camera, came all the way over to me and took his time. Like he, like he could have had a coffee, had a snack, Exactly. Yeah. no rush, no yeah. rush whatsoever. And then all my, my whole eh, frazzled nature just shifted. And I do that with, with my actors uh, because it shows them a level of respect. It makes them feel like this is their moment. And the reality is it is their moment. And I need them to be involved in it and connect with it. Otherwise, the audience isn't going to care. So I was going to say, do you think the best directors do that? What you do, Zach? And I don't know. I, I think, you know, it depends. There's a lot of different styles of directors. I've got, I've had the opportunity to work with um, Michael Bay. I've had the opportunity to work with Steven Spielberg. I've gotten to work uh, with um, Cameron Crowe. Cameron Crowe is very similar to Bob Clark in that nature. Michael yeah. Bay is far more of a technical director, um, not really a, a personable director. Um, Steven Spielberg, he was a producer on a, a TV show I did called High Incident. He wasn't directing the episode, uh, but he was very open to concepts and ideas. Um, so it, it depends upon the individual and what you're making, you know? It, and everybody has their own style for what they do. So yeah. yeah. I don't that's know. I, I like directing that way. Um, yeah. Well, if that's what you like, but I think it's important because if you make people think of coaches, basketball coaches or sports coaches, if they go and they go off on the players, a lot of times it works sometimes, but sometimes it backfires on them. And so right. what a good leader is, is a variety of different things for sure. You know, yeah, it, right. it, it changes. It changes upon who you're dealing with at the time, what your options are. So if you work for me on my crew and you screw something up, do I have a replacement for you? Are we in the middle of nowhere and it would take me three days to get a replacement for you? And if you walk off my set, am I screwed? Am I going to lose yes. eight hours of time? Is that eight hours going to equal $10,000 or $15,000 or more? So yeah. how do I how do I handle that situation with you? How do I make sure that you're you don't think you've got me bent over sideways, and at the same time inspire and motivate you to do better? And maybe like how do I do all those things if you're my crew member, and then also if you're my actor, how do I get the energy I need for that scene so that you're in the right head place at the right time? Like it's it's constantly analyzing. Uh, what the person's going through and trying to be trying to be open to what's happening with them as opposed to just listening to yourself uh, so right. that you can best help them get what they need to, to motivate them and get it done and take care of your over budget and blah, 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 all the other crap that goes into it. Well, because there's always a million things going on, right? Yeah. You've yeah. got a million things going on, especially if you're a director. They've got a million things going on, but then you've got family, you've got life, you've got all this other crap that's you try to silo it out. Um, but, but at the end of the day, you know, if we can, if we can build someone rather than demoralizing them, right. Um, we're always right. going to have, and it, it seems so, I guess, impactful, but, but interesting to me that, that, you know, as you are playing the character that is the demoralizing person, you have this life changing moment with a director who helps build into you 
right? That now yeah. you use to this day, you know, and it impacted, you know, it impacted your life. And it's like, you know, we've got this yin and yang going on here. Um, but it did have an impact and you yeah, use it, you know, impact. you could have, you could have taken either path. Um, and people would expect, oh, well, he's known for this role. So he's this guy. And it's like, right. you know, no, I had this, I had this moment and, and I chose to, to really try to invest in people because this guy did in me. Um, now you've been in, you've been in a lot of shows, right? So you're in, you're in Transformers, Resident Evil, um, almost famous, but then in a bunch of movies like CSI and, and NYPD Blues and Walker, Texas Ranger and Mentalist and Lost. Yeah, I've, and, done, I've done about 120 movies and about 80 guest stars uh, yeah. TV shows. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know what a lot of the other actors that were children in at least the Christmas story, but, but I would say you've, you've definitely, you know, a lot of children actors stop right there, right? They have their movie and, and then that's kind of as far as it goes, especially when you have a major movie where, you know, it's, it's, it's got a cult following, right? Yeah. A lot of people get, you know, that's their role for life. Um, so to be able to go on to and do as many movies as you've done and TV episodes and, and all of that, how, how, how would you say that you've been able to transition to, to continue to act? Um, when a lot of people, whether success or failure, it, it's, it's a, it's a fight, right? I'd say a lot of it is luck. Um, my mom's in the industry, so I grew up around the industry. So I was never, in, I was never excited about the red carpet. It was never okay. about being famous, uh, which is yeah. great because being in Canada, Nobody cared when a Christmas story came out. It did not do well. Uh, no one literally gave a crap. Um, yeah. So it was just a job. And, you know, I got lucky enough that when I went from being a child to being a teenager, um, yeah, I had my awkward stages, but I was okay looking, I guess, you know, yeah. like some, some people changed completely. That guy from the Goonies went from being a uh, chunk to this thin, good looking lawyer guy. Right, right. So he really didn't play the same type that people wanted him to be from Chunk and the Goonies. Um, right. I still kind of look very similar to Sket Farkas. If you slap a picture of me up, let's see. If I slap this up. <laughs> yeah, I still have the same punchable face, you know. Uh, that hasn't really changed. Um, I think I think having a punchable face has been something that's helped me out immensely. Like, um, and having red hair, so I, that was luck. And then luck is when preparation meets opportunity. So I was constantly right. auditioning. I, yeah, I've done a lot of work. I've also probably auditioned for fifteen times that amount of opportunities and never got them. So right. if not more. Um, yeah. So I think it's just tenacity and, and other people, you know, yes, other kids are child actors and they perform in something and it gets very, very big and they expect their life to be like that. But life isn't like what it is when you're a child, especially right. your body's changing, your mind is changing, your, your life is changing. You know, I think you make a point because it, it didn't, because nobody, as you said, cared, right? It doesn't go to your head and you, you know, a lot of, a lot of child actors, you know, get there and then they just go down here because it does go to their head and they get all the money and then they just crash. And I mean, right. 
you look at not just the drug rate, but but the death rate and all this of yeah. of, of actors that have really um, and as you say, you know, mom's in the business. She went home and and she's like, OK, now go clean your room. Um, right. And it's like but but because of that, you went to the next audition and the next audition, the next audition, right. the next audition. Um, and as you say, I, I you know, I auditioned 15 times for every one that I get. Right. So, you know, that gets back to regardless of if, if somebody's in movies or they're in sales or they're just in life, you know, we give up after two or three times statistically right. after once or twice. And you're right. like, no, like 15 times. And the reality is if you, if you interviewed 15 times for every one you got, that means you really interviewed like a hundred times in a row and got a no. And then you got one and then you got another and then you got another and you're like, crap. Yeah. Now there's going to be a bunch of no's again. Right. Because, it, you know, things happen, boom, 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 and then it's just silent, and then boom, boom, boom. Um, but you've stuck with it, and you've got a resume that, that clearly shows you did. What are, what, are some of, what are some of your favorite actors that you've worked with over the years, or, or maybe movies or series that you've been in? Um, Stacey Keach from, on the TV show Titus. Uh, yeah. Darren McGavin, obviously. Uh, Octavia Spencer was on, uh, she was on Titus. She was a very nice woman. Um, what's her face from Family Guy? What is her name? The lead. Google her name. She did an episode of uh, of uh, Titus as well. We get to work with a lot of cool people on that. Um, you know, the thing is, I, I I've gotten to do so many different movies and TV shows, and gotten to work uh, Alex Borstein. Got to work with Alex Borstein. Um, it's been really neat. It's been really exciting to to work with such a wide range of people, and where sometimes you meet your heroes and they disappoint you, and sometimes yeah. you meet your you meet people that become heroes because of how yeah. much they inspire you. And I right. I think that regardless of whether they're famous or their unknowns, the quality of their work speaks in their actions. And so mm -hmm. you're, you know, again, keeping that open mind and getting to meet people and, and learn from their talents is always a fantastic opportunity. Right. Not all heroes wear a cape. No. <laughs> yeah. they, they usually work at assisted living facilities. <laughs> well, they do. Now you mentioned, you mentioned a few minutes ago uh, that you've got a passion for Alzheimer's, which uh, yeah. I, I've, Really I don't know do. if that's the right. I don't know if that's the right way to put it. If, yeah. if I could, if I could murder Alzheimer's uh, viciously, I would. Uh, I would do a horror movie on that thing. Yeah. Well, you know, we would have a tag team match, except there's three of us. So Neil, what would that be called? I don't know what that would be. So you're saying no? We six man tag team match against Alzheimer's. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yes. That would be great. Yeah. Because it's destroying it and ending and trying to help that process. So what made you want to do that, Zach? And I know that Eric was uh, My father has Alzheimer's. He was diagnosed okay. this uh, August. He's now in a um, living assisted facility in Oregon. Yeah, my, my dad did too. He lived with us for three and a half years with Alzheimer's. Wow. And uh, Wow. That's really hard, dude. Um, my dad was diagnosed stage four dementia with Alzheimer's. Um, and he degraded really, really quickly. Um, and they just, it was, it was a full time, someone had to be there 
24 seven and that yeah. just limited amount of options. Uh, my wife and I don't have the space or the ability to do that. Um, so my younger sister, Audrey is a wizard of figuring out red tape and bureaucracy and Medicaid and all this stuff. And so yeah. we were able to find a place a mile away from her house in Oregon, in Bend, Oregon. Okay. Eugene, Oregon. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Uh, I don't want to swear, but man, I, I hate Alzheimer's on a level that requires a lot of cussing. Well, we could, we could share a pint and discuss it and, and we could cuss all night. So I, I typically have a, have a little, pin on that's it's a purple pin that's about Alzheimer's when I speak I actually was speaking last week at New York Academy of Medicine specifically about that and and what I learned because uh, what was heartbreaking to me was you know in these facilities my dad and I don't know if your dad's gotten this way but they get aggressive you know Alzheimer's they yep, will they get angry they um, get mad and, and they're frustrated because they're used to being able to do stuff my dad was my dad had been an all-american collegiate athlete and he's still doing 50 push-ups a day um and but his mind just wasn't working and it, it was just it's heartbreaking right yep. now there's there's also moments of just god was gracious to give us some moments where we just laughed you know dad yeah. would do stuff that was just funny and you know sometimes he thinks it's funny but we just need some comic relief yeah and and you know one day we were at Chinese food and they delivered the, the, the sushi and he just grabbed the whole thing that, you know, for everybody to share and he ate the whole thing. And every, we're just like, okay, we'll order some more. And before we could stop him, he grabs the wasabi and puts the whole thing in his mouth to just oh my jump, gosh. jump, jump, never says a word, starts crying. I mean, just, you know, a tear comes down, his face gets red, never says a word, you know, tough dude. Wow. And then afterwards <laughs> he's like, wow, that was some spicy guacamole. And, and you know so so there's those really hard days um yep. and then there's some days that you just you know afterwards we'd kind of chuckle once we were like yeah don't don't eat the spicy guacamole again but we can remember that you yeah. know afterwards and and uh you know but there's you know there's there's good days and there's really 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 hard days Definitely. um so i feel for you man i, I speak Thank on that you. i speak on that regularly uh, all over the country and on TV and uh, just as a, as an advocate, as I say, a senior advocate. Um, well, that's funny. Cause if this happened to people who were 40 and under, we'd have a solution. True. Yeah. That's true. And if we could have more people yeah. like you two speaking out, I mean, my father didn't have it at the end, but he started forgetting things mm -hmm. and it was very hard because he's brilliant. Uh, number two in the Naval Academy when he went to school, wow. there, he, wow. MIT, genius my father he passed away about a year ago so um, my uh, but it was, it, uh, thank you and it was just really difficult yeah. to see at the end because the man was a genius and it was very hard sometimes to have conversations but he always say i'm proud of you son but i mean wow. i'm not that that kind of thing he's my best man and so i'm just sharing this because i didn't you know think i was gonna get to share this in this interview but it just really it just he was the one that had the answers but he would right. be able to come up with so many different amazing things with his intelligence, but also relate to people. And it was just a, he, uh, he served a, a, under Admiral Rickover. If you ever heard of Admiral Rickover, he was a very, no, sir. Naval. And if you looked him up, he's like one right. of the heads of the Naval of the of Navy in the Navy when he was, uh, doing yeah. submarines and stuff as a story. So just amazing stories, but those are the things that they forget at the end. It's so hard, Zach, right? 
meaning yeah. to see them forget those yeah. amazing things or amazing moments are gone yeah. because of, yeah. this, of this. Yep. I would murder Alzheimer's if I got a chance. Well, yeah, you'd have some help. Yeah. Um, and you know what? If, if you ever do, if you ever get the chance to, I'm I'll pretty you. convinced you'll be acquitted. Yeah. I th- uh, yeah. I, 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 I want to do it close up with the knife and make it yeah. really slow. Yeah. yeah. That or, 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 or background, right? A dull spoon even, you know. Right, uh, right. <laughs> like, uh, I'm going to enjoy this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's, there, you know, there's so many things, you know, my, my dad had Alzheimer's, my, uh, my mentor had ALS that she had another thing that, you know, it, it, uh, you know, it's just brutal. It's devastating. Yeah. Um, and, and you're right. The, the, uh, the government does not put, uh, a value on young children or on old people because they can't earn a dollar. Right. Um, so, but the reality is they are like old people are supposed to convey the wisdom of their experience yes. to young people so that we yeah. create a standard of integrity for our culture so that we have a society and a civilization that lifts us up out of the dregs. Right. And then when we shuffle those people away into dark corners to fade away into nothingness and all their lessons are just turned into mothballs, then it means that we're constantly starting over and over again from nothing, which is like, that's what octopuses do. You know, an octopus is really, really smart, but it has no history to trade upon. So every time an octopus is born, it's coming out with zero and instinct and trying to figure it out itself. And they're very, very smart, smarter than dogs. But then they never get to transfer that information ahead. The reason why we have a society and the reason why I'm sitting in my office uh, in front of a laptop with a camera talking to people is because information keeps on getting changed and conversed and then built upon. We stand on the shoulders right. of giants, but if you, if you basically chop down the giants before you ever get to hear what they have to say, then you're starting from scratch all the time, uh, all over again. And that's the, that's the, that's the way empires fall. Yeah. So it is. Hey, Merry Christmas, guys. Great podcast. Let's keep it happy, shall we? See, Zach, I told you we're going to ask different types of questions today. It's not going to be yep. the same old, same old, but it really brings that power. But so, Zach, basically raising money. So this is the big thing during this time. What came you came up with the idea because of your father. But how are you raising money for it? I'm doing two things. I'm doing something through the the uh, uh, the Christmas story family. Uh-huh. which is a website you can go to. And then we're selling autographed photos and so forth from everybody inside the, uh, everybody inside the cast. Um, and then I'm also doing cameos, uh, which are. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cameos. So if you go to cameo.com slash Darth Farkas, as if Scott Farkas was a Sith Lord. It's <laughs> funny. D-A-R-T-H-F-A-R-K-U-S, Darth Farkas. Then you see my cameo and a portion of the monies I raise go toward taking care of my dad directly. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. So, um, or you can go to the Christmas, was it Christmas story gift? Or let me just take a look at it. Because it's, as opposed to it going through Warner Brothers and all that, like this is just paper stuff and small gifts that are made, um, autograph photographs and so forth. So it's, you know, it's called the Christmas Story Family. If you look up that, and then you'll find us as well. 
So. Christmas Story family. Yeah, Christmas Story family. All right, Sweet. Eric, and I know you have some more questions for Zach before we have to let him go. A couple of them, so go ahead. Yeah, so it, Zach, it sounds like we probably have our answer, but you know, one of the questions we always ask everybody is, you know, what do you want? What do you want to be remembered for? What do you want to be your legacy? Well, I think Christmas Story will be my legacy. Um, and I, I, I'm very, I think I'm blessed to have that as an option. Um, you know, that, that's, that's, I had very little to be part of that. I, I did not contribute a lot to the making of that film. Um, I worked on it for five weeks. I was very lucky to get to do what I did. And it's that perfect storm of opportunity. Yeah. Uh, the way the audience interacted with it, it turning into a 24 hour marathon, et cetera. So I think that will always be part of my legacy. Um, the harder question is how do I live up to that legacy before I die? Um, right. My goal is not to sit back and be like, hey, remember me? I was good fackers. Remember that one time I was a bully in 1983? That's stupid. That's just, that's just pathetic. Um, right. My goal is to live up to the legacy of Bob Clark and direct and create films that bring people together and, and make them laugh and smile and cry and feel human. So I hope that before I die, that I get to live up to the opportunity that Bob Clark gave me. All right, see that's- so Hopefully I get to do that. That's fantastic, Zach. Any other projects you have going on right now that you can talk yep. about? Uh, I'm direct, I've directed a feature film that I wrote and directed called Patsy Lee and the Keeper of the Five Kingdoms. And it's a, like the Goonies meets Dark Crystal. So live action with puppets in a magical world. Um, yeah, one of the, the leading man is uh, James Hong, 92-year-old James Hong. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was in Big Trouble in Little China. He was. I love that. Yeah. Movie. And this is the Chinese mythology-based American feature film with, like I said, animatronic puppets and magical worlds and little persons inside suits with talking heads and magic powers and Lots of fun, yeah. difficult stuff to do. So that's what I'm working on right now. And our goal is to have that out and distributed for second quarter of 2021. Fantastic. Awesome. So and awesome. other things you can't say till COVID's over, right? Or that's coming up. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm always writing something. Um, I'm working on a, uh, on a series slash movie. That's a book adaptation. Um, but there's really no point in talking about it until that's in further in development because who knows what's going to happen because life, you know? Right. Uh, so there you go. And you, you um, he's involved I'm going to be horror stuff too, right? You do a lot of horror movie stuff too, Zach, right? I have done, yeah, I've done yeah. a bunch of horror films. I've produced three horror features, directed one of them, um, written two of those. Um, right now I'm not working on any horror stuff at the moment, which is fine. Still love watching it. My wife yeah. and I are huge fans of Ash versus Evil Dead. Yeah. And uh, they're going to come out with a video game. So we are so excited to play that. Um, yeah, but that's, that's so, they, let's see, that's the plan. I'm going to be in Ohio uh, next week, which I'm excited mm -hmm. about. And then. We're in Ohio, Zach. Just. Uh, yeah. Akron and Cleveland. Okay. You're not far from Pittsburgh and that'll be on TV. So people need to go check you out in Akron and Cleveland. What are you going to go there? Are you going? Well, to that's right. 
here's the thing. We're not really doing what I'm going to visit family. Oh, uh, my oldest friend lives in Akron, Ohio. Okay. Okay. And so I'm going to go visit him. Um, I'm not really doing any personal events um, in, in person. The only one I'm doing is this Saturday, the 19th, I'm doing a drive-in movie theater to raise money. Sweet. Um, Great idea. Then, yeah. But everybody's in their car. So yeah. it's not, it's completely COVID compliant. You're not touching anybody. Everything's safe, you know? Um, so that's the only in-person event that I'm doing. Everything else is going to be um, just news interview questions, stuff like this, or yeah. on location in front of the Christmas story right. house, so forth. But I'm not doing a bunch of public stuff. Um, it makes me uncomfortable uh, for multiple reasons. You know, my dad's 74 years old now. And right. when I want to go see him, like I'm always getting COVID tests to make sure that my right. family and I are safe so we can take care of him. Yeah. And I just feel like um, it's too much of a risk for me to expose somebody else to that opportunity. And since we have things like cameo or the Christmas, a Christmas story family um, where they can have that interaction without having to expose themselves or their loved ones That's to great. something that could be absolutely dangerous yeah. or possibly ending someone's life. You know, whatever we, you believe. We'll just wait. We'll wait till whenever we're back to normal again. There you go. There you That's go. Good. No, I was just saying, you're not far from me at all, Zach, by the way. I'm in Pittsburgh. So, yeah. So oh, we're, nice. Yeah. Nice, so, nice. We're, so I was thinking you were doing some event. I said, okay. Well, I, guess <laughs> I interviewed some celebrity today in LA saying she's going to a party for one film. I'm like, oh my gosh, really? They're taking those chances. I guess they do sometimes. I don't. I, I mean, I yeah. don't see the point. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I just don't. Like, I don't, I don't get it. I've had dinner with friends out on patios and we're 10 feet away from each other. And when the waiter shows up, they have a mouth, they have a mask and they have a shield and they have gloves on. And we've done that since the beginning. And I've been COVID free for 12, 10 months now. So obviously whatever I'm doing is working. Um, But no, I'm, I, I think I went to a bar once this year. And it was when like we had our first wave of COVID and then there was like sort of a release like, oh, you can go to a bar. If you line up outside six feet distance, yeah, wearing a mask. And then once you get inside, you can take the mask off. So my wife and I go to this and of course people are drinking and they're getting drunk and they're doing the thing where they, the music is loud and they lean in close and they start talking into your mouth. And I was like, you know what? Uh, I'm going to go. I'd rather have a beer at home than yeah. have you spit on my face. And I'm good. I'm yeah. Good, you know, but I'm lucky. I'm already married and very happily so and not running around trying to be single. So I have my heart goes out to those people who are feeling lonely and such as it's got to be difficult. But yeah. I'm not going to go hang out. That's there. another that might be for a movie you have to create next year about single one during COVID. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they probably already done it. It's called Tinder. <laughs> yeah. All right. Or that so, could be the name of your movie. Yeah. yeah. No. I, I'm sure Tinder. everybody would know exactly what it was before they even saw it. That's yes, uh, I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Well, Zach, thanks for stopping by Eric again, another great living legacy. Stay on for just a second more Zach. So we can uh, chat one more thing before we go, but I appreciate you coming by and thanks again for the memories and everyone needs to watch go check out the website right now so they could donate or go to your cameo, right? 
go to my cameo um, or go to my Twitter at total Zach Ward, T O T A L Z A C K W A R D at Twitter or Instagram. And then uh, hit me up from there. Awesome. Zach, great interview today, man. Thanks for, uh, thanks, thanks for joining us. All right. Nice talking to you guys. All right, guys, Absolutely. that was living a legacy. Take care. Please listen to the Forletta podcast. Larry Forletta, a retired DEA agent turned private investigator, will bring you true life stories on the war on drugs with some of the most infamous international drug traffickers of all time, to name a few, Pablo Escobar, Manuel Noriega, Joaquin Guzman, aka El Chapo, and other related real life crime stories such as Waco. For more information, please visit his website at www.fcisllc.com.